Tonight, we're going to start a, a new series in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. So, um, the book of 1 Corinthians was written by Paul. Uh, it was written in uh, about AD 55, and it was written to um, the church in Corinth. It's a church that Paul had planted uh, some seven years before in about AD 48. And um, this, this city of Corinth, uh, where this church was located, was probably one of the most important cities uh, of the time. Uh, it was uh, right on the water, and it was an important trade route between Athens, Greece, and Rome. And it was a growing city. It was a vibrant city. And uh, as with most cities that are uh, big and important, filled with lots of trade and activity. Uh, it had also a lot of the, the problems that come along with that. Okay, so if you think about a, a city maybe a little like New York City, right, you kind of get all kinds. So, you know, you had a lot of, of corruption. You had a lot of sin in this city. Um, we're going to get to cover a lot of those topics as we go through this series in 1 Corinthians. It's one of the tougher books in the Bible because it has a number of very, um, let's just say, difficult passages to, to teach and to work through. So I'm going to try to give those weeks to somebody else since I get to make up the schedule. Um, just, just, just kidding. Huh? We'll, we'll take it as it comes. Um, but we're going to get to cover all kinds of things. All right? and, and, and most of it's related to Paul. He's writing this letter to the church in Corinth uh, really to help them. Because in the seven years, they've encountered quite a bit of, of problems, a, a lot of trouble, okay? So, so this is, these are words of wisdom to a church that, that's dealing with a number of these very difficult issues. So we're going to start tonight on chapter 1. And I have titled this lesson, We Are On The Same Team. All right, so say that with me. We are on the same team. Now look. To someone near you and say, we are on the same team. Now say, unless you don't believe or think like I do. <laughs> no, no, don't say that. Don't say that. But it's true though, isn't it? To a certain degree. All right, we're, we, we make good teams as, like, as long as everybody on the team really thinks and believes the way we think and believe uh, but I think one of the biggest problems, if you will, with our culture today, honestly, is, you know, there is no, uh, there's no truth. There's no absolute truth anymore in our culture. Uh, you know, maybe more than ever has been in the, certainly my generation, and I think in many generations, we kind of now have this culture where really whatever it is that you think is right, is right. Right? So whatever truth you believe, well, that, that's your truth. And if that's the case, if you think about it with me, if that's the case, if everything uh, depends on just what you believe, you get to make it up, whatever you think, then just basically everybody that disagrees with your truth, right, creates conflict. That's why today, as, as Jared said, in our society, probably see more division than ever before. And I think a great deal of the reason behind that is because we don't have this absolute truth. Okay, we're all making it up. So if somebody doesn't agree with what I believe is the truth, then they're my enemy. 
Okay, they, they don't believe like I believe, so therefore there's conflict, there's resistance. And to a great degree, that's what this whole book is really about. And in particular, this first chapter of 1 Corinthians is dealing specifically with division, division in the church. Now, I've got a handout on the table um, to help you follow along. It's got two sides, so look for the side that says we are on the same team. This, uh, this chapter is broken down really into uh, four parts. Could be three, but we'll call it four. Uh, if you look at it, first chapter, the, the four parts are, are really this. So the first part, you've got uh, kind of the greeting there, the introduction, verses one through three. All right, and then there's also a part of this chapter that I, I call the problem. It is the division, and it's, it's down there in verse 10. Okay, 10 through 17, that's going to be our, that's, that's what we're identifying that the problem that they're having, really the pervasive problem, if you will, with the church. And then there are two, uh, what I would say is, you know, solutions to the problem, maybe ways to avoid this division. You'll find those there in, uh, in verse 4 through 9, uh, there in my Bible says Thanksgiving, and then in 18 through 31. So let's, let's start uh, by talking about uh, the introduction. And I'm going to read it for us. So this is verse, verses 1 through 3. It says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Sosthenes was probably a Jewish Christian that was helping uh, really take notes, if you will, when Paul was writing this. Uh, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So a couple of important things I want to note just in the initial uh, greeting or introduction. So first is a question for you. Why is it that you think that uh, Paul, he does this in a number of the books that he, he has written, uh, refers to himself as the apostle? Why, why is that important that he's, he's referring to himself as the apostle? Anybody? <laughs> Just to make sure that nobody thought it was somebody else, yeah. That's right. Well, see, he is, uh, he's referring to himself as apostle, actually to be brought into that original uh, 12 apostles, okay? So to be an apostle was a special ambassador of God. So the reason he's making a point to tell them that he's an apostle is because he wants them to know for sure that this is coming from God. Okay, this letter is the words of God. Now it's easy for us today, we have it in the Bible, so we know this is the word of God. But at the time, Paul is sending this letter, so when they read it, he wants them to know, listen, God is speaking to you, okay? Second thing that's important, notice that it is to those who are sanctified in Jesus Christ that we know these are Christians. They've been sanctified. We've talked about this before. You're justified, uh, made righteous because of what Christ did. So they're Christians. And then the next part there, it says, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying, listen, it is I'm writing this to you, this group of Christians in the church of Corinth, but you're not just a group of Christians in a church in Corinth. You're a group of Christians. It's a, it's a member of a bigger team of Christians also. It's the Christians that are everywhere, who in every place 
call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's the, it's the big C for all of the church, right? And this little C for the church of Corinth. So really important that, that the words that he's writing, they're, they're, they're for this church, okay? But they're just as, uh, just as applicable for the big church as, as a whole, okay? So very important that we remember kind of what the context and this greeting gives us a lot uh, of, of information. So then he's, he's got their attention. God is speaking to them, okay? So the next thing I want us to look at is, you know, what's this problem, all right? Uh, there's supposed to be a team, right? He told them that, that you're called to be saints together, right? You're supposed to be one on a team, all right? But what is the problem, though? What, what is it that is causing this division? You know, well, let's look down in, in verse 10, all right? And uh, I think we'll find out that they're not really acting much like a, te- like a team. Uh, verse 10 is, really starts with, with, with this plea, if you will. It's an appeal. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. That you would be united in the same mind and the same judgment. So what in the world does that mean? So I would think of it a little bit like like-minded, okay? And, and in some respects, it's maybe a little easier to say what it's not than maybe what it is, all right? What it's not is it, it doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean that, that you know, there, there's never any problems, okay? A church is like a family, and we all know that in families, sometimes there are problems, I mean, I will tell you in the Olsen household, I would consider us of the same mind and the same judgment. I would consider us a family of unity, but I will also tell you that we have problems. We have problems all the time. The devil seems to be constantly attacking the Olsen house. So it isn't going to mean it's going to be easy and perfect. This unity isn't some picture of, of perfection where there's never conflict, you know, there's never debate, there's never argument inside the church, big or little C. That's not, that's not what it's about at all. It also isn't, doesn't mean that there's, that there's not any differences. I mean, we're all different, Right? I mean, I, I, you know, I look in our family, all of our children are very different. Aaron and I are different. I'm easy to get along with, and I'm just kidding. I'm actually they're probably pretty hard to get along with, to be honest with you, okay? But we're, but we're all different. We're all different. There's, you know, there's a difference between differences and division, okay? There's a difference between differences and division, uh, Charles Spurgeon says that, that I'm so grateful to God that there are men of different creeds because without it, we would never, ever fully understand the gospel. Okay? So we're all different. We've got different backgrounds and come from different places and have different perspectives on things. Okay? We're all different. In fact, we, we, we actually uh, glorify the difference makers, don't we? We love difference makers. What's a difference maker? Somebody that's so different that they actually have the ability to change things and to, 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 to make things better. So, so we celebrate differences and difference makers. So there's a big difference between differences and division. Now, division, okay, tears apart. All right, we get the word division from the Greek word schismata, and comes, schism comes from it. And it's, it's this, this picture of ripping apart, 
this wide gulf between, okay? It's, it's anything but uh, a team, all right? So let's look in verses 11 through 17. It's going to tell us exactly what it is that in this instance is causing this division, this, this tearing apart, if you will, of the church of Corinth. So there in verse 11 it says, For it has been reported to me by close people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean uh, is that each one of you say, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? I love that. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. It's like he forgot. Uh, beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of elegant eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. So what's causing all this division is they're identifying and following whoever it was that baptized them. I mean, it really sounds like when I read this, I think, man, this could happen today. I mean, sometimes we get all excited, right? Because we're going to get baptized by Pastor Graham or, boy, Jared baptized me. And that's great. (laughs) That's awesome. But it shouldn't cause division in the church, right? Because we are, remember, all on the same team. Okay, but this is, in this instance, what it is that's causing the division. It's us against them, all right? We're not on the same team anymore. But we could, we could probably identify a lot of things, can't we? What are some other things that, that causes division today uh, in the church? Can you think of any? <laughs> Boy, theology, that'd be at the top of the list, which, politics, yeah. Oh my gosh, the worship wars, right? Music, yeah, the, the lights are too bright, the lights aren't bright enough, the, the volume's too loud, volume's not loud enough, we sing too many hymns, we don't sing enough hymns, I like the choir, I don't like the choir, it just goes on and on and on, right? Huh? I mean, this, that's probably the biggest I see right now that's happening in the church, you know? But there's others too, right? I mean, people find everything in the world, it seems like, to, to cause division or conflict. I mean, just missions. You know, I've seen churches uh, that have split just over their, their approach to missions, whether it be foreign missions or whether it be here in your own backyard, right? Some people feel very passionately about those things, all right? Could be a number of things. But what is it that Paul asks in that verse 13? He says, is Christ divided? No, we're on the same team, right? Christ wasn't divided, all right? It's this division that's tearing apart the church. In this instance, the little church, but I would tell you today, you look around, it's also tearing apart the big church, you know, and and the denominations, the theology. Boy, it's a big part of that. And that quote that I gave you from Spurgeon, it actually is from an article where he's talking about denominations. He's saying, thank you, God, that we have different denominations to spread light, to spread light on the gospel. So listen, if we're supposed to be a team, all right, and Eric gave me a lot of time. I should slow down and say a bunch of different things. I got like 30 minutes. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Well, listen, I, I, you know, I know sometimes it's hard to believe, and I know I'm on podcast, so I have to be careful. But, you know, when we get to heaven, there are going to be people there that don't go to Prestonwood. 
It's shocking. I know. There's actually going to be people there that aren't Baptist. <laughs> I know. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Sometimes you wonder, but it's true. We don't, we, we, we don't know it all. <laughs> we don't know it all, all right? So my question is, how do we avoid this? You know, um, I always like to be practical in, in, in the way I approach this. And, you know, the problem is obviously this division, right? We see it in the church in so many different ways. I mean, there's so many opportunities. We listed a few. But how, is it that, how do we avoid this, you know, this, this division, this conflict, if you will, that divides? How do, how do we make sure we act uh, as a team? Uh, well, I think there's two ways that uh, this scripture in particular talks about. I don't even know if one of them may not even been really intentional. Uh, by Paul. Um, but the two I would give are this. One is that we should have a thankful and a grateful heart. A thankful and a grateful heart. Okay, so if I had to ask you, what do you think is the number one thing that hurts teams? Uh, what would you say it is? And I'll give you a, a little hint that'll give it away. You've heard the old saying that says, there is no I in team, right? So, you know, would you say that selfishness has to be one of the things, wouldn't you, that, that hurts a team uh, more than anything? I would say that that sense of entitlement, you've all seen it, right? This sense of entitlement, this sense of superiority. Okay, if you ever get a team where somebody has somebody on that team that has that sense of entitlement and superiority, I promise you there will be conflict. There will be division. Okay, and... But one of, the, one of the best things in the world for this, this superiority, okay, this entitlement, is to have a grateful and a thankful heart. Because with a thankful and a grateful heart comes humility. In fact, thanksgiving and humility, okay, they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. So I find it interesting that, that Paul, okay, after his greeting there in verse 4 Okay, he goes through to tell them in detail why they should be grateful and why they should be thankful. I mean, isn't it interesting? Before he gets into talking about the problem of which I am writing about, he wants them to, to remember, okay, what God has done for them. Look there in verse 4. It says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Jesus Christ. First and foremost, he hits them with the grace of of God that was given you in Jesus Christ. They're saved by that grace. Where would they be lost without, without this gift from God? But then he goes on. He says that in every way you were enriched in him and all speech and all knowledge. Okay, these are gifts. We're going to talk about gifts. It's going to be one of those fun, uh, those fun uh, classes over in chapter 12. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts Okay, so he's pointing it out to them. Listen, you guys were gifted with speech and knowledge. You know things. God reveals himself to you. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gifts. You're not lacking in anything. As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will help, who will sustain you to the end. Help you persevere. He's going to help you. He's going to be there with you, walking with you. He's sustaining you. How grateful should that make you? He's going to be there to sustain you to the end. I love that. Will sustain you to the end and then guiltless, forgiven. What did Jared want to pray about tonight? Thanksgiving and forgiveness. As he was talking about unity, a call to unity. He, Paul here is reminding them. 
Okay? The God's going to help you. He's going to sustain you. And then he's going to find you guiltless because of, of your faith and trust in him. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So listen, if you've got a grateful and you've got a thankful heart, okay, I promise you, you will care a lot less about all those silly things we were just talking about. Okay, you'll care a whole lot less about who, who baptized you if you remember what God did uh, for you. That he sent his son to die for you. If you just think about all the times in, in your life where God has been there for you. You know, I've said it before in my own personal life that uh, I accepted Christ uh, in February of 2008, but it was, it was months later when I really fell in love with Christ. And when I did, it's when I, it just hit me as to how much God loved me before I even thought about him. How many times my life could have just went down a terrible path. Sometimes it did, and he protected me. But if you get that thankful and grateful heart, you remember what God has done for you. All these little things, all these things that, that seem so important when you wrap it around yourself and what you want and what you desire, boy, they sure, sure don't make much difference after that, do they? What it does is that humility, there's a reason that, that we talked about humility at the very first beatitude. Remember, blessed are the poor in spirit. We talked a lot about humility. There's a reason for that because humility lets you receive what God has in store for you. Grateful and thankful heart. Boy, if you've got a grateful and thankful heart, if that, that person on that team that, that thinks they're superior to everybody else in this entitlement, you get a grateful heart, boy, you'll approach it differently. You're grateful to be there, you'll approach it differently. You're grateful for the opportunity, you, you, you'll approach it differently. You'll start focusing on, on what really matters. You'll start focusing on, 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 on God, okay? You'll start focusing on the truth, all right? That's my number two. Number two way to, to help avoid this division, to be a team, is to choose truth and not culture. You know, the biggest reason, really, that, um, that he's writing to this church, and we'll see all these issues, is because this church has begun to identify uh, with, with culture. Their focus is all messed up. All right? So I asked you a few minutes ago about what, what causes the most problem for a team, but what is the most important thing for a team? Oh, I got cold here. What's the most important thing for a team? I love this. Teamwork. That's really right, okay? So if you look at the definition of, of team in the dictionary, it's going to say a group of people working together for a common goal, Okay? A group of people working together for a common goal. And what Paul is, is saying and, and is going to talk about here in, starting in verse 18 is he's talking about, he's telling you, listen, your goal, your common goal, Team Christian, better be the truth. Okay, it better be Christ. It better be God's word. All right, that, that needs to be your common goal. All right, and, 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 and not always will you be understood Okay, you're not always going to be understood. If you look there in verse 18, it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. All right, so those who don't believe aren't going to understand our team necessarily and, and our common goal, right? They're not going to understand maybe what we're doing. 
Like I didn't really understand when our coach at Auburn was rotating three quarterbacks uh, last week. I'm still a little perplexed with the whole three quarterback rotation. Didn't really understand it. Okay, they're not going to understand us either, but maybe not in Gus's world. Okay, but in God's world, okay, in God's world, it it always works. It always works because what does the rest of 18 says? But to us who are being saved is the power of God. It is the power of God. Okay, this is, this is that tree planted that Jared was talking about. Okay, when you choose truth, you're that tree. Okay, when you choose the world and culture, okay, you're, you're that, you're that, that, you're that uh, shaft that's just blowing in the wind. All right? And, and he reminds you of that after this, okay? In this 19, he, he, Paul wants, to, wants you to remember that this worldly wisdom, it's going to perish. It's going to go away. Because he quotes from Isaiah there in 19. He says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know him, God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. World's not going to make it, right? It's all about what God says. He turns the world upside down. What they think is right is wrong. And then after that, Paul is going to write and tell them about um, mistakes, okay, that their ancestors have made and that they're making about following culture. Talks about it in the rest of this chapter. He says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolish of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let no one boast. Let the one who boasts, I'm sorry, boast in the Lord. It's like Paul is is standing and screaming as loud as he can, stop following culture. Stop, stop following culture. It didn't work in the past. Look, learn from your ancestors, okay? The Jews, they demanded signs, it said, right? Remember in the Bible, you can go back and look in John chapter six where they they say, okay, Jesus, uh, all right, you're you're so special. Uh, Show us a, a miracle like the manna from heaven, like for our ancestors, or, or in John chapter 2, okay, where they talked about, come on, show us a miracle, Jesus. He said, well, just destroy that temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And they're like, well, you're crazy. It took us 46 years to build that temple and you're going to do it in three days. They didn't get it, right? They didn't get it. They didn't understand that, that God was before them. God was amongst them. And the Greeks, okay, they relied on their own minds, just could not believe something that they couldn't, they couldn't figure out. I was reading a little thing about Albert Einstein in, in a class of, of, of philosophers or thinkers that he was teaching one time. And, 
and they were having trouble believing in God and, and he asked them a question. He said, so if you, if you had to, to make a, a guess of how much do you understand, of all there is to know, how much do you know? How much do you know? What do you think? He said, well, I think we probably know about 5%. He said, well, is it possible that God resides in the other 95? They couldn't get past it. They just couldn't get past, you know, what was in their own mind. But, uh, and then here today, even in, in, in the time that he's writing, he's saying, listen, stop measuring yourself by culture. Okay, stop trying to, to make it into this league that you think is so important to become these, these halves. Okay, you could just see this church. Everybody, you know, I, I want to be important. That's why they were identifying with who they baptized. I want to be important. I want to be somebody. He's like, stop measuring yourself by the world. Stop. He's like, stop aligning yourself with culture. Okay, stop trying to, to measure your success and your failure by culture. We do that a lot, don't we? I mean, it's, it's pretty easy, really. I mean, we're so just immersed and, you know, and it comes at us so fast today in, in the form of social media and, and the internet and, and 24-hour TV and just, you know, our minds and our lives are just bombarded with culture. So, you know, it shapes us if we're not careful. Even inside of a church, we can start measuring things by culture. It's real easy to do. Real easy to do. Okay. Start talking about excellence. And sometimes we equate excellence with just winning everything. That's not, not the same at all. Not the same at all. But sometimes we just, we're so immersed in culture and in the world, it just blends together. It just blends together. Because I promise you though, if you start following culture instead of God, you're going to be in big trouble. There's going to be stumbling in, in your future. And it can happen inside the, in the church, you know, just like it does outside, you know, in the business world, all right? Um, Jarrett used this word. I'm, I'm, he's always using my words as I'm getting ready to teach here. This pet peeve, you want to know one of my pet peeves? My, one of my pet peeves is the, is the Christian celebrity. I've never been much for celebrities anyway, and I can tell you this, I am definitely not for Christian celebrities, I talk about it with Spencer all the time. I'm so grateful to God that his heart didn't, God didn't create him that way. Create him with just such a humble spirit. Okay? And, and it isn't that Christian celebrities don't do good. They do. There's lots of Christian celebrities that do lots of really good things. But I think about it and I think, you know, as I was, as I was just thinking about this part of the lesson, I was thinking, okay, well, can you imagine, uh, you know, uh, Tony Romo, if he, if he played, um, can you imagine if, if, if he didn't have to go into the same locker room as the rest of the team? Can you imagine? Can you imagine if they said, okay, Tony, you're so special. We're going to give you your own locker room. Over there, it's going to be all nice. It's going to be, I mean, it's going to be just the best. And then on the sidelines, I mean, we can't sit out in the middle of the open. We're going to give you a little little room over here. We're going to build you this little portable air conditioning, put a TV in there. When you're not in the game, you can go over there and just kind of hang out. I mean, can you imagine what this would do to the team? I mean, it would destroy the team, right? I mean, you, it, it just wouldn't work. It's almost, it's almost laughable, okay? So, you know, inside the church, it shouldn't be any different. Okay, there's lots of great people doing great things in the church, lots of great preachers, lots of great uh, musicians in the church, but they're just like us. That's, the one, that's really what Paul's saying. 
Okay, he wasn't saying that the people that were noble or had money or had success were bad. He was saying that doesn't matter to God. We're all, we're all down here with God. We're just humble servants of God. Okay, so if you're, if you're Stephen Furtick, who I love, by the way, to listen to him preach, if you're him who, who, who is all popular and celebrity-ish, or if you're Neil Jeffries, who, who has a hard time getting those words out, all right, it doesn't matter. What matters is the cross. That's what he's saying. Remember earlier he said, it's not me speaking with elegant, eloquent wisdom that matters. What did he say? Lest the cross would have no meaning. Would have no meaning, Right? So we got to be careful that we're not letting culture shape us. All right, we got to make sure that we stay focused on truth. Got to stay focused on truth because if we don't, if we focus on culture, man, I'm telling you, it's what I started this lesson with. It will create division. Okay, it's just a natural progression from acting like the world because the world is selfish. Okay, the world by its nature creates conflict and creates division. But not us. We're on the same team, Team Christian. So listen, I couldn't, I couldn't resist. I couldn't not have, not have a, an analogy, if you will, to sports. And in this lesson, if I'm t- talking about teams, we're on the same team. So I was uh, watching recently a, a movie called uh, 42. Have anybody ever seen the movie 42? It's a great movie. I, I, I quoted Branch Rickey one time in class. And after that, I just always wanted to watch the movie. So Aaron and I watched it. It's a great movie. Uh, Branch Rickey was the manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers who uh, had hired uh, Jackie Robinson. Uh, it's a great movie. It's got some kind of bad language in it, at parts of it. Aaron and I were grateful we didn't <laughs> let the kids watch it with us. I actually got it because I wanted the kids to watch it. But it turned out to be a good idea not to. Uh, but it definitely has a Christian undertone. To that movie is, in fact, there's one part in there where he says, you know, Jackie's the right guy because, hey, look, he's Methodist. I'm Methodist. God's Methodist. All right. So we know he was a believer. All right. Um, And I think he was a good guy. But there was this great song in there that I couldn't get out of my head that I wanted to play this song. uh, That's just kind of cute, really. But it's called uh, The Ball Game. And they played at the end. So I've got the video a clip that's just the last part of the movie that's that has this this uh and on the back by the way of your deal I've got the words to the song just in case go ahead Spence there's branch
How about that, though? It's the only number, 42, that's retired by every team in the league. That's pretty impressive. But the only uh, only uh, number retired by every team. I love that, though. Life is a ball game, and it, prayer is a strong bat. Did you hear that, though, to hit at Satan's, hit at Satan's ball? To kind of just drill it right back at him, right, with that prayer. But it said life is a ball game, you know, and uh, a lot of truth to that, right? Um, you know, life is, is hard. Uh, that baseball team was a little like a church, too, to be honest with you. Um, you know, if you, if you watch that movie, if you watch that movie, you'll see that this was a very tough time. This is in the 1940s. What they were doing wasn't very popular. Uh, you had these people that were from all different backgrounds and all different places with, with all different views, okay? And they, were, they had this thrust upon them. All right, and each one of those players, what I found was interesting is each one of those players, they had a choice. They had a choice to make. They could either choose unity or they could choose division. And if you look at that, like there's, there's that one guy that was traded to Pittsburgh, Dixie. Okay, he, he, he chose division. And if you watch that movie, you, you would be able to see that one of the reasons he did is because, because he thought he was better than everybody else. He thought he, he was entitled. He had a sense of entitlement. He didn't have any gratefulness, that's for sure. And he, and he, was, he wasn't focused on, on truth. He was focused on himself. Okay? He was focused on himself. But if you look at those in that movie, like Pee Wee there and Ralph, that, that, that chose unity, you know, they just had such a humble spirit about them. Gratefulness. They were so thankful to be there. You know? And they promoted this unity Searching for this truth. They didn't let the culture, because the culture was trying to even shape this team at that time. They didn't look at that. Okay, in fact, there was that one part in there where, where Branch was talking to, um, was talking to Jackie, and he said, you know, listen, they're going to they're gonna curse at you. They're going to throw stuff at you. They're going to be all against you. And you, you got to act like our great Savior is what he said. You just can't, you can't let it get to you. You can't let it get to you. You know, we're a lot of the same, aren't we, in the church like that baseball team? All right, we're from all different backgrounds. We've got all different kind of perspectives. We're different in so many ways, right? And, and we too get to make this choice. We get to choose unity or division, okay? And for me, I hope for you, I want to choose unity, right? That's what Jared said. We are church united, have a grateful heart. Don't let, don't let Satan bring you down that, that slippery slope of culture. Stand firm. Stand firm. Don't let, don't let him do it. Okay? Remain grateful. Remain humble. Stay focused on God's word, though. That's the key. It was the whole point of the message tonight. Stay focused on God's word, on God's truth. The Bible says that Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Right? We're all on the same team. Amen? All right, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, I pray, God, for, for uh, this class, for this church, Prestonwood. I pray, Lord, for the, the big church, Lord, the church of Jesus Christ, which we know, God, you love more than anything. The Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. So, Lord, I pray, God, for our church. I pray for the big church and the little church, Lord. I pray, God, for unity. Lord, I pray that we would all be of the same mind and same judgment. God, I pray that you would continue to keep us humble. Lord, give us a grateful and a thankful heart. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would never, ever, ever take our eyes off of you, off of Jesus, 
off of God's worth and off of the truth, Lord. The truth, Lord, that, that we know only comes from you. It isn't what we decide. It is what God decides. Lord, now bless us as we go. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.